Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Desenio's London Design Festival 2019 podcast. My name is Ollie Stratford. I'm the editor-in-chief of Desenio, the Quarterly Journal of Design. And my name is Christina Rapatsky. I'm the deputy editor. And in this final episode, we're going to go without one of the themes which we've had in all the past episodes. Instead, devote this episode to odds and ends. Bits and bobs. The sort of things that we saw but then couldn't necessarily fit into a theme, which is sort of the nature of LDF. It's a huge, sprawling event. It seems to get bigger and bigger every year. Uh, And to choral all of those installations and show openings and uh, exhibitions into uh, single themes is perhaps over-editorializing it. So this is inevitable. Yeah, so I think one of the ones we haven't touched on in previous podcasts is Disco Carbonara by Martina Gamper, uh, which is an installation hosted down at Coldrops Yard, which is one of the new areas being built up around King's Cross. It's part of the Argent King's Cross development, right? So the one that's been going on for a number of years and which keeps on keeping on. Yeah, so Martino's installation is a is a response to that. So as you approach it, you see this fabulous, strange facade that's in the centre of the uh, area. It's made up of plywood with assortment of different surface patterns across it. Yeah, I think he's worked with an Italian veneer manufacturer and has gotten offcuts from their factory. I'm trying to think how to put it. It's the facade of a club. So from the afar, it looks very impressive. It's this beautiful plywood structure with all these different surface patterns on it. So it's quite a chaotic uh, front you're presented with. And as you get closer to it, you begin to see that it's something a bit more like a film prop, a set from an old low-budget 1950s uh, film. So you get in line and you have a bouncer, as you would have at a nightclub. And the bouncers are actually really good they do a very thorough job of making it seem like you're queuing up for a proper nightclub he made me show my id and then was quite shocked when you actually did (laughs) and wanted to check we understood it was an art installation (laughs) i'm forever the the idiot um but yeah that was i said i enjoyed it though uh i thought he was really good so that was superb so you have this kind of um Uh, setting up then you go through the door they usher you in after you've had the stamp on your wrist and you enter into it i mean it's a plywood box basically and it's a plywood box that's much smaller than what the facade promises so you imagine that you'll go into quite a large space uh but you enter a box which could hold maybe comfortably five or six people yeah, you have a terrible old disco light going round. Uh, I think you compared it to like a lava lamp being projected. That's right, yeah. It yeah. reminded me of the school disco. And sort of surging Euro pop. And you can dance around a bit if you want to. Um, we didn't. We're quite joyless. And then we were ushered out the back. You step out through the door and you look up and realise that facade you saw initially is basically just a sheet of plywood and behind it you can see all of the scaffolding holding it up. Like a Potemkin village, essentially. It's an installation I like a lot. I thought it was very funny. It's a good 
one-liner. It's a little bit strange, though, in a sense, because it's been sponsored by Coldrops Yard, and I think it would be very easy to read it as quite a stark criticism of that development, because what Martina has presented is this space that from a distance looks tremendously impressive, and then when you get up close, you realise it's paper thin and a bit crap. Like, that's the whole uh, setup, and it works beautifully. And of course, the criticism of Coldrops Yard is exactly that. It's this kind of paper neighbourhood which has been thrown up without any real effort at community engagement or or creating any sense of belonging. And it's also a nod to the history of that area. So before it was redeveloped in the, I guess, the, correct me if I'm wrong, but the redevelopment of that area started in the late 2000s and um, before that it was a rundown part of London and uh, full of old um, disused Victorian industrial buildings so coal drops uh, yard used to be two coal sheds that would where you'd get the coal in from like Yorkshire on the train and then the coal would be kept in those sheds and then it would be shipped along Regent's Canal to all of North London. Yeah so as the reliance upon that black gold fell the area um began to drift out of its in original industrial use i think throughout the late 80s and early 90s it was more used as a center for rave culture they had a lot of parties down there that's right there was uh bagley's nightclub in one of the coal sheds yeah and so i think you know we could be reading martino's installation wrong i don't think he said it's a critique of the neighborhood but and certainly the ldf didn't staff didn't say that this is kind of our, <laughs> our interpretation yeah we've installed this to show how awful our neighborhood is <laughs> we're wanting to flag that up and really talk about that this week no they didn't um, say that but th- but that i think for both of us that's what what came out of the experience of going through this this uh horrible club i mean credit to martino if that is what he's going for he did very well to sneak it past the sponsors (laughs) sticking on this week's theme of martino gamper we're now moving on to seeds gallery in brompton which had an interesting display Yes, Seeds Gallery uh, has an exhibition called Masters of Disguise, and it's a whole lot of masks. Yeah, so they have commissioned a group of designers. Martino among them, we should say, just to make that segue work. Martino amongst them, but also including people like Max Frommel, Jamie Shaw, Beth and Laura Wood. Joachim Holtz. So it's quite a simple idea, but every designer was asked to put together a mask that somehow reflected them. And I think they have an Oscar Wilde quote in there, something that the mask someone presents to the world is more revealing to their face. So I I guess there's this idea of the intention behind a mask. What does that show about how you're trying to project yourself? We should say that Seeds is a collectible design gallery. So that's sort of the scene that we're looking at now. It's not the kind of big public design installation. It's not the materials research type thing. It's beautiful objects, quirky objects, or objects that are finely crafted, finely turned, uh, and to be sold for um, probably quite large sums of money to collectors. But I think what was nice about the exhibition is there's no grand message behind it necessarily. These are just a collection of objects which are fun and which the designers seem to have enjoyed making. So, I mean, James Shaw put together a face made out of 
It's a plastic extrusion, which he uses a lot in his work, but they look like dripping grey phalluses coming together to create a face. Yeah, I think that was my favourite, phallus head. Or dickhead, like it's been called... It's explicitly called plastic dickhead, so we're not being vulgar here. There was Beth Ann Laura Wood's mask, which was a sort of veiled figure who looked absolutely miserable, uh, sort of downturned eyes... And a prim little mouth. It was very funny, though. And what was nice was all of the masks were so different. So one I particularly loved was Max Frommelt had built a mask out of building materials from his house. And it was excellent because it was just so crudely put together, but had a very sad looking little face, like quite strange little eyes beaming out of some building material. And then in Pride of Place at the entrance greeting everyone was a mask designed by Birchin Pot, who I wonder if he was something of an inspiration for this project because Birchin had been designing masks for quite some time. He creates these extraordinary fabric creations and they're so beautiful so with the mask it's a it's a great typology for designers to explore and those designers got some as you say some really varied results out of it but the mask also has maybe quite a troubled history in design and in the history of art especially in the 20th century as something that artists and designers and interior decorators have um appropriated uh, in the West from various cultures, whether that be African tribal masks or uh, oceanic masks. So I think that's maybe something to bear in mind. As you say, that has been something of a recurring problem throughout design's history. And I mean, you can look in all of the early modernist masters and there are lots of issues around it. I think Alexander Girard did a number of designs or drawings around tribal masks that... That's right are quite troubling to look at now. So that's something you have to be quite wary of. I think for the... Exoticization. I guess that's the trouble is. Yeah, exactly. I think for the most part, the Seed Show thankfully evades that issue. These are much more pieces about the material used. For me, there are one or two that perhaps sail a little bit close to the wind and made me double take. But it will have to be up to the individual visitor to bear these things in mind and then make make their own minds up about how they think this history has been handled by the designers. And then you went to see an, a small exhibition in a studio, didn't you, Ollie? I did. I went to see Lines Form Surfaces, which has been put together by Mensen, which is the studio of Yasuyuki Sakurai and Risa Sano. And for me, it was one of the real highlights of the festival, I think because of how modest it was in part. So this wasn't a huge installation. There was no grand theme. They'd basically tidied their studio a little bit and invited people to come in to see two new products that they designed, both of which were lovely. One in particular stood out, which is Garland. It's a shelving system, a modular shelving system, very elegantly put together, really flexible, just very nice, solid design. And I think what impressed me so much was that design isn't necessarily finished yet. They have prototypes. They're looking into, is it a self-production? Do they need to find a manufacturer for it? How should they price it? And I thought that was very nice and quite refreshing, actually, to see a studio displaying something that's still quite raw and using the festival as an opportunity to just speak about their work, to strip away all of the artifice, 
all of the fireworks and say, this is what we've been designing this year. We'd love to show you. And any feedback is welcome. They weren't saying they were going to save the world with their shelves. Oh, no, they are saying that. (laughs) No, they're, of course, not arguing for that. And I think there's something very attractive about that kind of modesty. And then it almost lends a credibility to the festival as a whole, because when you're seeing some of these grand installations, you do begin to wonder, what's this for? Wouldn't we have been better off without this? Yeah, you can't help but think sometimes when going through LDF and looking at the installations and all of them, like hardly a single one that doesn't brand itself as having to do in some way with sustainability. And you can't help but to think, you know, maybe the most sustainable installation is no installation at all. And seeing a small studio who are really great designers and perhaps don't get the credit they're due using the festival as a way to speak about their practice and share it, I think is to be uh, commended. Makes me feel less cynical about LDF. Were those uh, all the bits and all the bobs then? I've covered all my bits. My bobs are done. All the odds? All the odds. All the ends? All the ends. And we've come to the end. Thank you so much for listening. This has been really fun. Well, we've enjoyed it. And we hope you (laughs) have too. Uh, Thank you to everyone who's listened to the Desenio podcast throughout the London Design Festival 2019. If you've enjoyed this podcast series, then I have good news for you. Later this year, Desenia is going to be launching a new regular podcast series. So please stay tuned to Desenia's podcast channel, like and subscribe, and the pilot episode will be arriving in there imminently. Which is a vague term. I'm not committing to any specific release schedule, but it will be imminent. Soon. Presently. Two weeks on Thursday. <laughs>